My name is Matt. Uh, most of you probably are looking at a new face that's up here for the first time, because I've only been here for about three months as a pastoral resident here. And we have enjoyed our time here tremendously, and I am very grateful for this experience of, of preaching. I, I was sick last week. You might be able to hear that I have some congestion, so I, I apologize if I cough. I can't sing right now. It would sound horrific if I tried to sing before you. But the Lord has been kind that my voice is still enough that I could preach. So uh, I, am, I am very blessed uh, that I get to be here tonight to do so. In our text, we're going to be continuing in 1 Timothy. And our text tonight is 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. I will read 1 through 16, and I will pray, and then we will see what the Lord has in store for us tonight. If you can, uh, I know you just sat down, but please stand uh, for the reading of the word. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, And give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we seek clarity. We seek guidance. We seek instruction 
from your word. We, we seek to know your very heart, God, so that we may know what you care about, what pleases you, Lord, and what gives us understanding if we are in the right as your people, if we are following you as we ought to follow you. So we pray for your blessing. We pray for the instruction. We pray for the implanting of your word in our hearts and lives so that we may walk out of this place changed and hoping upon you in greater and real ways. In your name, amen. Be seated. Thank you. I have not had many experiences, personal hospital experiences in my life, but there were four times it was simply unavoidable. And those times were child one, child two, child three, and child four. And I have to say, on those visits, I had the best sleep of my life. So, but uh, in all, all seriousness, I watched my beautiful wife do something only she can do. Bring our kids into the world. Well, I would love to tell you all about each time, because each time brought a unique experience. There was at least one constant. They had to take my wife, Ashley's, vitals. Take her temperature, check her blood pressure, monitor her heart rate before labor, after labor, on a quick schedule for critical moments leading to delivery and after delivery when she should be sleeping. They, should, they woke her up so they could take these vitals. And why would they do such a thing? Because they are crucial to understanding the state of health of our bodies. They're helpful in these intense moments surrounding labor, but they're also crucial in the common experiences that we have. When you go to your family physician, when you go to a normal hospital visit, they will take your vital signs. Whether it's emergency or planned, The vital signs are a direct testament of how the body is functioning. They are indeed vital signs. Now, if you were asked what the vital signs of faith were, what would come to mind? They could be vital signs of individual faith or or vital signs of, of a faithful church. Certainly, sound doctrine would be. Up there, belief in the Trinity, trust in God's Word. Uh, What else could we come to mind? There there might be specific passages of Scripture. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's the exclusivity of Christ as the only path for reconciliation and salvation with God. So That also might include matters of atonement, confession of Christ coming in the flesh. That's from 1 John. Paul's reminder to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 of the true particulars of the gospel, that that Christ was born, he was crucified, dead, and was buried. 
And those are the particulars of the gospel in which they and and we confess. Those are the particulars of the gospel of where we stand. And I'm sure that we could even come up with more, more vital signs from Scripture. But we can also look outside of Scripture for helpful resources. There's a, a wonderful book called Nine Marks of the Healthy Church that helps you understand what a healthy church looks like. And so that's useful and practical to use, and it's biblically grounded. But all the things that might come to mind are are good things. But when we're asked about vital signs of true faith, how long might it take us to put down on the list? Takes care of family. Because Our text tonight gives us a plain and striking statement. And that's in verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his household, taking care of his household, what do we read? He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Talk about a vital sign. Being at risk to deny the faith, being, being worse than an unbeliever. Surely we had better listen to God's instruction in these words. If that's what's on the table. What we find here is that Christ's compassion for His family is so strong and so real that it's shown and known through the work and care of His family. Christ's compassion does not stay hidden. It shows up in the daily life of His church. And it shows that Christ's promises are real and practical. Christ's compassion shows up in two ways in the life of the church, according to our text tonight. And they are through godly leaders and through how the church cares for true widows. They actually build on one another, as we'll see. So first, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. First, we see Christ's compassion flows through godly leaders. Now, it's been a few weeks, but the last time our attention was on 1 Timothy, Josue compelled us to understand that Paul is directing Timothy to stay devoted to the teaching of God's Word so that they would remain in the faith. And the text also shows that Timothy was to live as an example of godliness, of love and and purity before the people. And as he lived before the people, it would be a natural thing for him to gain influence. By being commissioned by God through the council of elders, when they laid their hands on Timothy and It was a public witness to everyone to understand that Timothy 
was God's leader. But as Paul is handing the keys of leadership to Timothy, he's he's not handing out the keys for a bulldozer. He's handing out the keys to an RV. Timothy is not supposed to make things happen at all costs as God's leader. Bulldozing his way through whatever and whomever to get something done. But rather the daily pace and practice of church life is the pace and practice of being a family. So we read in verse 1, Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as a father. And younger men as brothers and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. Now this text isn't saying never rebuke. Because there are times where there is a path for church discipline. There are godly ways to confront and rebuke others concerning sin. And Paul will even show that there's a public way to confront and rebuke an elder of the church later in this chapter. So Paul's not saying never rebuke. But he is saying... The normal practice and posture of Timothy's leadership is to be characterized by compassion as if toward a family. He is to be known as a compassionate encourager. This presses against our values of progress and vision. We celebrate fast-moving, fast-paced growth development, innovation. We want growth faster. We want change faster. We want returns of our investment sooner. And so we we tolerate harsh leadership because they seem to get things done. Sometimes critical and harsh leaders can and do execute business plans and have success. But Christ is showing us that this is not the way for his household. He says, slow down. It's not the same thing here. This is what my leaders are to do. See my family as a family. Some of us may be disgruntled at the pace of church life the pace of change, but but pastoral leadership is called to serve and encourage a family, not a business. The calling of God's leadership and godly leadership is to be concerned with the well-being and long-term care of everyone. And that's why I think an RV is a good picture instead of a, a bulldozer. Because it gets everybody there instead of mows them down. Now it may be your first time here or first time listening to college church and all you've ever known were mean pastors. God wants you to know that it is very clear in His Word that godly leaders 
are to be agents of His compassion. And I have full confidence in saying that our leadership here wants to be found faithful in showing that compassion. And if you have a godly pastor, you can trust his counsel because he sees you as a father or as a mother, as a sister, as a brother. That he cares for your soul. Not just in the moment of trying to help you in this very particular instance, but he cares what happens next. Because compassion isn't just momentary, but it is long term. Timothy is called to be an example in speech and action. And so as he is called to treat the body of Christ as the family of Christ, so the whole church is called to do the same. You and I are called in the same way. And this idea of family doesn't originate here in 1 Timothy. It's actually a, a theme that runs through the entire Scriptures. But it has its stamp of approval and its escalation and solidification in Jesus' own words. When Jesus is in a house and his mothers and brothers come to pull him out because they think he's a little nuts and he's making a fool of himself, Jesus makes a statement that those who follow him are actually his true mothers, brothers, and sisters. He says, my disciples are my family. And a little later, he promises, such as in Mark 10, anyone who leaves their house, their mother's, their land, and follows me, receives a hundredfold now in this time houses and mothers and brothers and sisters and lands. Jesus gives a direct promise that what you leave, you will find in His family. You receive a hundredfold because the church as His family welcomes you in so that you do not lack and you have what you need. Christ Himself establishes us as His family and calls His leadership to love and calls us to love in the same way. The compassion of godly leadership permeates through the whole body and helps us understand our identity as a family. Now, I have a a confession to make. The first time that I met my future father-in-law, I had no desire whatsoever. It was not even a, a figment in my mind to leave him and say, bye, I love you. 
<laughs> when I first met him. So that would have been awkward. <laughs> I was just dating his, his daughter. I was just meeting him for the first time. And to say I love you without any, any type of relationship there, it's just weird. But I grew to know his daughter. I grew to know the family. And I, I married his daughter. But even then, at the beginning of that marriage, it's still a little awkward to say I love you. But I, I've spent 12 years attached to this new family that I, I have by law, under God, committed to and been a part of. And I, I've grown to know him. And so those words are a little easier to say. And so, Mike, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> but I can say that because I have, I've had the time to get to know him and grow in compassion toward him. Now, this, this understanding that we are the family of God, it takes investment and it takes time for us to grow to know each other so that we can say seriously and fully, I love you. And it starts with the compassion of leadership. And in our identity as a family, we find that we must take care of our household. That brings us to our, our second way Christ's compassion shows up in the daily life of the church. And that is through how the church cares for true widows. So God has made it very clear in His Word that He cares for widows. He threatens judgment against those who mistreat or abuse them. You could find that in Exodus 22. He practically provides for them by including them and those who can eat of the produce brought in as the people tithe of their crops in Deuteronomy 14. So Paul's instruction naturally goes to the full extent of familial compassion and responsibility. It's not, he's not going to widows randomly. He laid the foundation that we treat each other as family. And so how far should that care go? And he brings up the care of true widows. And what he has here is a complete word on the care of widows. And it's, it's unique in its contribution to the Bible. It's, nowhere else is the subject treated with such clarity and practicality. And so let's reread verses 3 through 9. Uh, 3 through 8, sorry. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, 
has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now Paul has been given, giving instructions to Timothy all throughout this letter. And this refrain of command and teach these things is a marker of, hey, Timothy, this is important for everybody to know. And so what are those things that we are to know? And what's particular about this section is that it gives us a 360-degree view of widows. And it covers all the bases. So it says, honor widows who are truly widows. And that's a a command to the church. We're going to return that because Paul backtracks a little bit. So he's giving a command to honor widows who are truly widows, but, okay, this is a, a situation that relieves some of that command upon the church. It says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household, and to make return to their parents. Children or grandchildren. Focusing on the care of their ailing parents, their ailing parent, those in serious need as they seek to end their life well. There are a few texts that you read and you're like, really, is that all you say? And, and that hits us, I think, with let them first learn. How heavy, how heavy is that statement? Because in that small phrase, let them first learn, comprises all the decisions about how do I, do I care about my parents? How do, I, how do I have the conversation with them about maybe, maybe it's, it's time to give up your driver's license? Because, honestly, your safety on the road is a concern. It comprises the experiences of How do I care for my grandmother who has dementia, who has an assisted living home that she lives in, but how do I find myself in the care of her? What is my responsibility? Let them first learn has all of these decisions, hard decisions. Long decisions that you need to consider. And each experience is unique and calls for wisdom and care. Let them first learn. It's not a quick time. Sometimes it's a very long 
long process. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they are to figure something out for them. To make sure that they are cared for. Because God has given them, as parents, and they have served you as their child or grandchild in their provision of food for decades. And it's, it's common grace, knowledge, that it's common sense that you, you care for your parents. Whole cultures are geared toward taking care of their elderly. And God says that it pleases Him. All the time it takes, all the decisions, all the hard conversations that you have is pleasing to God because you are caring for those most in need. And so those widows who have children or grandchildren have that support by the command of God. But she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God. And that's the command of the church to watch out for true widows. Because the command to the church, the command to the church family, is to honor true widows. Paul's command to Timothy is God's command to us. That we are to honor. So what does this word honor mean? Certainly there's monetary investment with it. But that can't be all of it. Because if we're only thinking about monetary support... That would be like paying for somebody's life support and then never visiting them. Never knowing them. Never understanding them. So honor is is much more than monetary support. It's much more. It calls us to know them. But then it also shows in the identity of a widow in verse 5 into verse 6 is that she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. That's a bit of a, a correction to widows themselves, to understand who they are in Christ, and even a, a call, an opportunity of repentance to see how their lifestyle matches with their confession of Jesus. Because you are not a true widow if you are focused upon yourself. But those who are supported by God's family, rely upon Him and He will 
indeed care for their needs. And this rests on the importance of verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his members, members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you do not take care of your family, you are denying the faith. If I came up here and told you it's been four days since I've made sure that my kids have eaten, you should come at me with pitchforks (laughs) and torches and run me out of town. Because how dare, how dare you? There are in your care, they are God's. And He's given you the responsibility to care for them. And if you don't, you deny the truth of the gospel. You are actively worse than an unbeliever because you know the truth, but it doesn't cause you to act. And if that's you, it's cause to repent. It's cause for examination. Because denial of the faith is a denial of Christ. So Christ cares so much for widows. Our time is definitely short. But when everything's followed by God's Word and the care of His people. Every widow of God's family is cared for like the widow of Zarephath. If you remember in 1 Kings where Elijah is is brought to this widow that God sends him to and the widow doesn't have anything. But Elijah promises her that there will be enough. Keep making bread. And they all eat and have their fill. And God's instruction to His church and His instruction to us is the same. That every widow, those who are overlooked, are able to eat and have their needs met. So Paul gives instructions, and I'm just going to read 9 through 16 because they're very, very clear, very direct. Let a widow be enrolled. Again, that's enrolled to the common fund of the church. If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, 
has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. That is a full life of a godly woman. And it's worthy of support from the church. When she doesn't have support of her own family. It's a, it's a stark contrast to the, the picture that some people paint, especially from 1 Timothy 2.11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. They say God hates women. But no. This is a picture of a godly woman who has invested and worked her life in service to the church. Worthy of honor. But in verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not idlers only but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. We don't want to put sin on the bankroll. We don't want to give opportunity for sin for those Who will be drawn away? And so Paul gives practical instruction, wise counsel in not enrolling younger widows for some in the midst of the church at Ephesus have already strayed after Satan. And then once again, we have a, a strong, practical command. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them and let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. There is there's so much in this passage that is left unsaid. But these instructions that we have are, are proactive measures so that care meets need rather than needs meet care. These are offensive movements rather defensive or reactionary. We, we can't have a posture that says, oh, we didn't expect this when caring for those most likely to be overlooked or forgotten, especially when it is clearly laid out for us to understand and to act. A final word to the widows and even widowers of College Church. We have a little over a hundred that are a part of our church family. And I, I don't know the experience that you might have as a widow or as a widower who whose hope is completely 
set out of God. But it reminds me of a song uh, from Rich Mullins. And that experience, I think, is comprised by this word. Hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been my King of glory. Won't you be my Prince of peace? If, if that is you as a widow or widower, Jesus knows you. He sees you. And He is challenging and commanding all of your church family to have an eye toward you. Not necessarily that you might need monetary support, but that you are not forgotten. That you are not cast aside. But you are legitimately known and seen. God cares about the care that is happening to and through His family. He doesn't want His daughters and sons to lack in their daily needs for food, clothing, and shelter. And He doesn't want those who have no one to continue to have no one. His promise to us is real. His promise to you is real when he says, join my family through, through the work of my son. You, child, are mine. You, all of us, in the hearing of this word, are invited to be in God's family. And we've already heard the way to do that, and that is through Jesus Christ. But Christ loves His church through the compassion of godly leaders and the care of widows and others who are in that type of need. And if we neglect or have deaf ears to this truth, we deny the faith that Christ's promises are real and really hold promise in this life and the next. The care of your family and your church family is a vital sign of your spiritual health. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the clarity and the directness of your word. We don't have to jump between what it meant to the original hearers and what it means for us because it is so directed to your whole family. And God, thank you that we have been made a part of your family and that there is care that happens. There is compassion that is shown. Jesus, your compassion is never hidden, but it expresses itself in the life of your church, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we are part of a family when we trust in you and that we never need to know a day. We never need to know an hour or a minute of what it's like to be truly alone. Help us to set our hope upon you with a tremendous faith. In your name we pray, amen.